A scripture reading today is from Lamentations 3, 19 to 24. Remember my afflictions and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gull. My soul continuously remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Philip. Well, maybe you were coming this morning uh, and you were expecting the next installment in our series in, in Nehemiah. Um, so was I uh, until Wednesday of this week. But uh, unfortunately, uh, like I said, John, he, he's come down with the flu and so he's been bedbound since then. Um, so I'm stepping in this morning. Um, and with Hope, uh, Hope Explored and different things happening this week, I, I just didn't have as much time as I would have liked to have got my head into Nehemiah again. Uh, and so we're going to pick that up again next week. Um, but uh, we finished... Hope Explored uh, on Thursday evening. Um, for those of you who, who maybe don't know, uh, as, as a church, over the last three Thursday evenings, um, people have been gathering uh, just to kind of look into the claims of the Christian faith together, um, to really look at the, the hope of the Christian life and to see if there is any truth in it, um, looking at the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, if you were someone who uh, helped us with that, Thank you so much. If you were someone who made desserts for that, thanks so much for doing that. There was one of the evenings that um, the desserts were nearly a bigger topic of conversation than Jesus. Not quite, but they, it, Jesus thankfully was still the biggest topic of conversation. But um, thank you for doing that. You really helped to serve us in that way. But the three evenings, um, they, were, they were just hugely encouraging. I love doing them. A handful of people getting together to talk about what we believe as Christians is, is the most important thing uh, in life, what life is really all about, exploring offers to each of us. Um, and why I love Hope Explored is because it always reminds me of something. It reminds me that as human beings, we all long for something solid, something concrete to pin our hopes on in life. In a world that so often disappoints and leaves us feeling hopeless, we're all searching for something that has the load-bearing capacity to carry us through life. We're all desperate for something that can keep us afloat when the inevitable storms of life rage around us. And what Hope Explored continually reminds me of is that even when the world feels like it's fallen apart around us, even when it feels like it's fallen apart around us, if we are in Jesus Christ, then we have hope. A joyful expectation for the future based on true events in the past which changes everything about how we live today. And if you're listening this morning as a follower of Jesus, then all I want to do is take you to some of the most precious verses in the Bible to me to remind you, dear brother or sister, of that sure and certain hope that you have. A hope not built on the promises of, of our politicians or world leaders, not built on the, the promises of our economy or healthcare system or technological advancements, not built on something that we ourselves or anyone else can conjure up. No, 
It is a sure and certain hope because it is built upon the unshakable character of God. And my prayer for those of you maybe this morning who are here and perhaps you're just still exploring this. Maybe you're looking in from the outside trying to work out if there is really any hope in what the Christian faith claims to offer. My prayer is that you would see that in the God of the Bible, you can find a solid foundation for your life. One who makes sense of life in a confusing world in a way that nothing else does. And one who enables us to keep going and to actually have hope in life, even in the most difficult of times. So I'm going to pray for us before we come to God's word, asking that he would help us and reveal himself to us this morning. So let me pray. Father, we ask, please, that as we turn to your living word, that you would lift our eyes to see Jesus this morning, more of him, the one in whom our hope is found. Hope not just for today or for tomorrow, but hope forever, for every day we have here in this earth and for every moment we will spend in eternity. Father, please be at work in us now by your word and by your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So as you heard, the verses uh, that we're going to be looking at this morning are found in the lesser-known book of Lamentations. I bet you weren't expecting to come to to church this morning and hear a a sermon on Lamentations. Um, I don't think we've ever preached a sermon here at Village uh, in this book. John said we we hadn't ever preached properly on it. Um, I wondered if what he meant by that, maybe he's talked about it before. I said, we'll see at the end here whether there even is a proper kind of sermon on it this morning. But we're going to dip our toes Uh, into a few verses in the middle of it this morning, perhaps verses that are familiar to you. First off, let me tell you a bit about the book of Lamentations. The author is almost certainly Jeremiah, and it was written around the time of the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians in 586 BC. Now, that, that should be hopefully familiar to us as a church, because over this last while, we've been studying the events of Ezra and Nehemiah, and that actually, the, uh, the book of Lamentations happened just before uh, the, the kind of events that we've seen in Ezra. Um, so this is the kind of 70 years of exile before Ezra and the exiles came back to Jerusalem. Uh, and what this book is really all about is in the name, Lamentations, Lament. If you get a chance to read the whole thing, um, you could quickly pick up the sense of grief that pierces this whole book. It makes for a pretty harrowing read, actually. It deals with some pretty hard-hitting issues. You've got the grief and the shame of God's people. They've turned away from God. They're living in sin and idolatry. Uh, And you've got the, the awful reality of God's judgment against his people, which is shown in God causing the siege and the invasion of the Babylonians. They're God's instrument of judgment because of God's, the unfaithfulness of God's people to him. And in these five short chapters, there are almost no shafts of light penetrating the darkness. The pattern of the poetry in the original Hebrew, it feels almost like a funeral song. It's bleak, it's sorrowful. If you had a musical score written to the book of Lamentations, then most of the song would be in the minor key. But note that I said most. Because hidden here in the middle of chapter three, right at the center point of this book, we find these precious pearls of hope. They're the only hopeful words in the entire book, and they're some of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. They might be for you too if you're a Christian this morning. I've been trying to teach them to my older two girls. I love if they could remember these words off by heart, um, because these words don't shy away from the reality that life in this world is hard. 
It's difficult. But they also acknowledge that in the midst of life's hardships, God still loves us. God will always be faithful in keeping his promises to us. So let's have a look at this together. And firstly, let's see the reality that life is tough. Life is tough. Look at verse 19 and 20. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. Life doesn't sound great for Jeremiah, does it? See, it isn't just that Jeremiah has woken up this day on the wrong side of the bed. Life is really difficult for him and for his people. Look back at the start of chapter 3 with me and feel the weight of what Jeremiah is enduring here. Look at verse 2. It feels like he's been brought into darkness without any light. Verse 3. It feels like God's hand is against him. Verse 5. He's been besieged and enveloped by bitterness and tribulation. Verse 7, he feels trapped like he can't escape, like he's weighed down with heavy chains. Verse 8, it seems like God isn't listening to him. Verse 14, he's the laughing stock of his people. Verse 17, his soul is bereft of peace. He's forgotten what happiness is. Verse 18, his endurance has perished and so has his hope from the Lord. This is a man who is at the very end of himself, who is in the absolute pits. And if you read the previous two chapters as well, you get a whole lot more color to the dark and depressing scene that it is here in Jerusalem and for Jeremiah. And so that's the context as we come to verse 19. And it's not surprising when he says, I remember my affliction and my wanderings. It's not a surprise that he feels as though he's filled with bitterness, with poison. That's what it means when he says wormwood and gall. And do you see in verse 19 to 20, he repeats the word remember. Remember. It's like he can't think about anything else. His thoughts are consumed by the trials of life that he's facing. There's painful stuff filling his mind during the day, and the same painful things are haunting his dreams at night as he lays in his bed. The darkness of yesterday is the same darkness he wakes up to today. And it can be almost a bit unsettling reading words so brutally honest and candid. But this is why I love God's Word, because it's not a book which is out of touch with reality. It's not some dusty, old, 2,000-year-old book that has no relevance to our lives on this earth right now. God's Word faces up to the reality that in this sinful and broken world, life is hard. Life is difficult. That suffering is real. That darkness is all around. And that often our experience of life can leave us feeling hopeless. And I wonder if Jeremiah's experience of life and his emotions resonates with you this morning. Maybe as you look back on these last few days or weeks or years of your life, you remember perhaps all too well just how hard life has been or how challenging life is right now. You remember your affliction. Maybe it's financial struggles. That's the cause of your affliction. Maybe it's the loss of a job. Maybe the health problems that you never saw coming. 
maybe depression that's just cast a dark shadow over your life, a relationship that's broken down in a way that's just so heartbreaking, the death of, of someone dear. You remember your affliction. Or perhaps you remember your wandering. Perhaps as you look over the last period of your life, it feels that you've been wandering in the spiritual wilderness. You've drifted to a place in, in your relationship with God that you, you just have no idea how you've got there. There are patterns of sin in, her, in your life which you just can't seem to shake. You have this kind of apathy towards God and his people which just leaves you feeling cold and indifferent. You feel like you haven't heard from God or experienced a closeness with God in so very long and you're parched. You're restless, you're weary. Whether it's affliction or wandering that we remember, we may well be tempted to feel like Jeremiah this morning, spiritually downcast, questioning whether God has forgotten about us or, or if we're going to fall away and not make it to the end in the Christian life. And we might wonder, how do we not despair as we move through life, which is so full of uncertainty and question marks? How do we press on when we don't know what's around the next corner for any of us? What's going to be the anchor which secures us and shelters us when the storms of life rage all around us? Well, these are precisely the questions that Jeremiah is asking. The dilemma that he has is he, he looks around and he sees his city laid waste and the suffering of his people. But look how he responds in verse 21. But this I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. What we're about to hear is what Jeremiah is reminding himself of, what he's preaching to himself in the midst of his affliction and wandering. This is not some self-help mantra. It's not some feel-good pick-me-ups. No, what he calls to mind is what he knows to be true about his God. He was so tempted in verse 18 to think that all hope was gone. But then he calls this to mind and it gives him grounds for hope for the future. And here's the two things that Jeremiah remembers. The first thing is this. He remembers God's great love. God's great love. Look at verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every day morning. Can you see how even in the midst of uncertainty and adversity, Jeremiah knows that God has not stopped loving him. The trials that he's facing are not a sign that God has forgotten about him or that God has turned his back on him. God's covenant love for his people is unceasing, never ending. And it's actually because of God's great love for him that, that Jeremiah isn't overwhelmed by his circumstances. He still has hope even in his suffering. Can you see that in verse 21 and 22? Therefore I have hope. Why? Because the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Even though Jeremiah is going through a period of grief and lament like you wouldn't believe, he knows that because of God's covenant love for him and his people, the things that he is facing, they will not consume him. 
They won't overwhelm him. They will not snatch him out of God's loving embrace. Rather, his conviction is that God's mercies, God's kindness, God's compassion, God's love, it it never comes to an end. It's new every single morning. As he wakes up to a new day with his head on the pillow and he's tempted to be overwhelmed with despair because of the things that are going on around him, this is what he brings into his reality. It's the knowledge of God's unceasing love for him. It's the truth that that God's love for him today is as real as it was yesterday. That God loves him today just as much as he will tomorrow and the day after that and every day thereafter until he goes to be with him in eternal glory. That's the first thing Jeremiah remembers, God's great, unfailing, never-ending love. And here's, here's the thing, it's, it's almost like Jeremiah is calling this promise to mind, and for him, being an Old Testament believer, it's still in black and white. But for us, as God's people this morning, when we read this verse through the lens of the New Testament, this side of the cross of Jesus Christ, it's almost like this verse just explodes into glorious technicolor. Because if you're a believer this morning, no matter what your current circumstances are, No matter how you might be feeling, God's love for you today, right now, is great. How great? Well, come with me to Romans 8. Here at the end of Romans chapter 8 is Lamentations 3, read through the lens of the cross. And we we see that, that Paul can conclude that suffering and sin, yes, they are real and they are awful realities in our world, But God's love for his chosen people is relentless. It is unstoppable. Listen to the extent and the breadth of God's love for you this morning if you are in Jesus Christ. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? That's in response to all that he said about the gospel and what God has done for us. What should we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. In other words, life is difficult. Life is hard. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See the glorious point that Paul is making. If you are in Jesus Christ this morning, then you can know today with absolute assurance that the God of life loves you with an everlasting love. That his love for for you one of his children, it doesn't waver. 
It doesn't falter. It doesn't blow hot and cold depending on, on how you're feeling or, or, or how he's feeling or how you're performing or not performing. His love is steadfast. It's constant. And Paul says there is nothing, nothing in all the world that can separate you from God's great love. Not depression. Not disease. Not financial difficulties. Not persecution. Not death. Even death. It cannot separate us from God's great love. If you want to know the greatness of God's love for you today, look to Jesus. Look to him on the cross, paying the penalty for your sin, freeing you from your guilt before God, bringing you into the safety and security of God's love forever. That is how much God loves you. The great preacher Ray Ortland, he puts it like this. He says, the gospel is clear that God really does love us today and that he really will love us tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. Listen to this. We don't know what the future holds except for this. We will always be stepping into one more moment of the love of God forever. How incredible is that? If you're a follower of Jesus, then you can wake up tomorrow knowing, enjoying, resting in the sweetness of God's mercy and love for you all over again. You can wake up tomorrow and say, hallelujah, I can face the uncertainties of this day, resting in the certainties of God's love for me today. Your sin has been dealt with in full. Your suffering is just following in Jesus' footsteps on the path to eternal glory. And so you can press on, knowing that there is nothing that can change the reality of God's steadfast love for you. Let's call to mind, like Jeremiah here in Lamentations 3, the greatness of God's love for us. And then secondly, let's call to mind, let's remember God's great faithfulness. Let me read verse 22 again. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now, what does it mean that God is faithful? Well, put simply, it means that God is always going to keep his promises. Always. Which is something that rolls off the tongue very easily and can wash over our heads. But it's actually a staggering thing to say about someone, isn't it? Because we all know how easy it is to make promises, but we all know as well, with the best will in the world, it's so difficult to keep those promises. I, I know that uh, New Year's resolutions are not technically promises, but they're almost like promises that we make to ourselves. Like oaths we, we, we make, and then we try and keep for the year as long as our willpower will let us. And I started the, the New Year by making a few resolutions this year, Here's one or two of them. You can probably tell by my face whether I've been keeping them or not. Limiting myself to one treat a day. Running 20 kilometers a week for the entire year. <laughs> Reading a new book every month. Those were just a few of them. And as I looked on the, the 3rd of February at how those resolutions were going, I was dismayed and despair because I realized just how many I, I'd let slip, even probably in week one or two. It was a, a joke, really. Maybe it's the same for you with your New Year's resolutions, I'm not sure. It's hard keeping promises. It's hard keeping them for ourselves, but it's also hard to keep them to others. We see so often how promises are, are broken in relationships and how painful that is, whether it's, it's marriage or, or between family members or friends. It's so hurtful. 
when expectations are unfulfilled. But here's the thing, God's faithfulness to his promises is not like our commitments to our New Year's resolutions or or like the promises that we even make to one another, which can change so quickly. If, If that were the case, it would be a terrifying thing being one of God's children because we would just never know if he was gonna come true on his word. But God's faithfulness to his promises is based on his character as the perfect, unchanging, covenant-keeping God. And so we can be totally assured that everything God has said he will do, he will do. He's completely faithful in all of his ways. And if you were in any doubt about that, we know that God keeps his promises because we, we look to Jesus. Jeremiah was looking forward to Jesus. That day when the Messiah would come, we look back to Jesus and we see that, that Jesus is the rubber stamp to all of God's promises. He is the fulfillment of them all. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 1, no matter how many promises God has made, of which there are so many to us, Jesus Christ is the yes and amen to them all. He is the yes and amen to every single one. And so if you're ever tempted to doubt God's love for you, look to Jesus. If you're ever tempted to doubt God's faithfulness to his promises to you, look to Jesus. He is the centerpiece of our hope as Christians. And just like for, for Jeremiah, to know that God is faithful, I hope it's an incredible comfort for you no matter what you're going through right now. Because it means that whatever is around the corner in life, and none of us know, let's be honest, none of us know, but what we do know is that God will never go back on his word. God will always follow through on what he has promised. Whether that's tomorrow, or or the next day, or or, or in a year's time, or, or for our whole lifetime here on earth, he will be faithful to you. You can hold on to that. But what has he promised to us? Which are the grounds for for our hope as we reflect on his faithfulness? Well, firstly, let me say what he's not promised to us. He hasn't promised any of us an easy, comfortable life in the here and now. He hasn't promised that if we put our trust in him, that we are guaranteed health, prosperity, well-being for the future. And if anyone tells you that, please know that they are not telling you the truth of God's word. In fact, what what God's word actually teaches us is that when we trust in Jesus, our lives on this earth will probably get a bit harder. Suffering will come. Living in obedience to God and his word, it's costly. It's sacrificial. We may face persecution for it. But the thing is, we will journey through all of those things and everything else that we face in life as those with hope. Hope in our hearts. We will mourn. We will suffer. We will shed tears like everyone else in this world, but we will do so as those who have hope. Hope in the promises of a faithful God. And we could spend all day looking at the promises of God together, but here are three. Three for you to take with you. Remember them, remembering them as you go through life, facing all of the ups and downs. God will give you all that you need. 
Philippians 4 verse 19 says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We have a good father in heaven, one who knows us and knows exactly what we need. He gives to his children out of the inexhaustible riches of his grace in Jesus Christ. So he will sustain you and he will strengthen you and he will supply you with what you need for each day. Secondly, remember that God will always be with you. Remember Jesus' words at the end of Matthew's gospel, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The Holy Spirit that lives in us now as God's people, it is the down payment of our future inheritance. Jesus is with us right now as he will be with us in glory forever. And that's the third promise. God will one day take you home to be with him in glory. This is what the resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees. We thought about this on, on Thursday night at Hope Explored. Because Jesus has risen to life, it's almost like he's the needle that goes through a tapestry. He bursts through death and comes out the other side. And if we are people, we are almost like the thread attached to that needle. He has burst through that tapestry and we burst through because we are connected to him. We are his and he is ours. And we will be with him forever in a place where there are no more pains. There are no more hurts. There are no more tears. All those promises, they are just the tip of the iceberg. We could go on and on and on. And to all the promises of God, he will remain faithful. He will do what he has promised to do. We can be sure of that as we look to Jesus. And here's the thing I was thinking about this week. If we want to be like Jeremiah, who, who's able to call the promises of God to mind, if we want to do that again and again this year, we would be well to have the, the promises of God imprinted in our heads and on our hearts, wouldn't we? John has, has produced that pray the promise tool. We're spending a year as a church really devoting ourselves to praying to God. And John produced a a tool called Pray the Promise, which I think is going to help us to, to actually uh, pray and to fuel our prayers this year. I was thinking this week, uh, on each of those promises, at the end of the year, wouldn't it be great if we hadn't just prayed the promises of God, but actually we learnt the promises of God as well? Twelve promises to pray and twelve promises to learn. What about that for us as a church? So that as we step into a turbulent world, as we face whatever life throws at us, we have the unshakable promises of God right there in our hands to cling to. And as we do that, as we head into the known, unknown, clinging to God's promises, we might be able to say like Jeremiah in verse 24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. What does it mean for the Lord to be our portion? Well, John Calvin says it better than I ever could, so I'm just going to read what he says. For the Lord to be our portion, it is that God is our life in death, our light in darkness, our rest in anxiety, our abundance in need. There is nowhere else to turn and no one else to turn to besides the Lord. That's what it means 
for the Lord to be our portion. It means he is our everything, our all in all. And so knowing that the Lord is his everything, his portion, Jeremiah says, I will hope in him. In a moment, we're going to sing the famous hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, written by Thomas Chisholm in the early 20th century. And and unlike other famous hymns that we sing here in this church, this wasn't the kind of product of of one single experience in Thomas's life. But it was just an honest reflection of a lifetime of experience in God's faithful care towards him. And just before he died, Chisholm wrote these words. He said this, My income has never been large at any time due to impaired health in the early years, which has followed me on until now. But I must not fail to record here the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God and that he has given me many, many wonderful displays of his providing care, which have filled me with astonishing gratefulness. That's Lamentations 3, isn't it? Life is hard, but this we call to mind, and therefore we have hope. That as we look to the cross, to the place where Jesus Christ shed his blood and had his body broken, we remember that he did it for us to save us, to lift us out of sin and darkness, to set our feet upon a solid rock, a solid foundation, to be our hope. Hope for the future, yes, but hope today, right now. He is our hope, our only hope. And so as we come to the table as God's people this morning, we remember and we rejoice in the great love and great faithfulness of our God. If you're someone who hasn't yet put their trust in Jesus, as you stand maybe this morning and and think about the words that we sing here as we sing this, this great song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, I want to encourage you to think about your life, where you're placing your hope in life today. Does whatever it is, does it have the kind of load-bearing capacity to carry you through life like Jesus Christ does? Does it, does it have that kind of sure and certain foundation for your life like Jesus Christ offers? Is it able to do for you what Jesus Christ is offering to you today? Jesus Christ, he came, he lived, he died, And he did all of it so that you might have hope if you would only trust in him. As you sing this morning, as you reflect in your own life, think about the words that we're singing here in Great Is Thy Faithfulness. And I'd love it if today maybe was the day that you called out to Jesus and said, Jesus, you know what? There is nothing else in all the world, nothing else that can give me a solid foundation like you to build my life upon. Call out to him, and you know what? He will respond. Draw near to him, and the Bible promises that he will draw near to you. Let's stand. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing.
Lord God, we, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you that uh, as we read your word, we know it's the truth, Lord. We're convinced of it in our hearts because you've given us the gift of faith, Lord, to believe that it's true, to know with assurance that all that you've promised to us in your word is true and that you will be faithful to all, Lord. We look to Jesus this morning. Lord, we're astounded at what you've done for us. We're so undeserving of it. We think about your faithfulness. We have been so unfaithful towards you. Like the people in Jeremiah's day, we've turned away from you. We are in our sin, in idolatry, Lord. But yet, you, Lord, came to lift us out of the darkness. You came to give life in death. You came to be the light for us in our darkness, to be our hope, Lord. We're so undeserving of it, but Lord, we praise you from the very depths of our being for what you've done for us. Lord, I pray that as we face the uncertainties of life, as we go through difficult times, which I know some people are now in our congregation, Lord, that we would be looking to you that you would be our very present help in times of trouble. You would be our strength, our comfort, our peace. Lord, be our portion so that as we look to you that we can say that we have hope. Hope of a glorious future. Hope of, of a life for all eternity with you. Lord, may that knowledge of your uh, love and faithfulness forever, Lord, may that change the way we live today. May it give us hope for today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.